Genesis uh, chapter 20 and 21 uh, to bring you up to speed uh, as to where we're at uh, in the previous chapter. Uh, if you need a Bible, put your hand in the air and uh, John will bring you one. Uh, just to remind you where we're at, uh, in chapter 19, uh, Abraham uh, pleads with God to save the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 50 righteous people, and then 40, and then uh, 30, 20, down to, yes, he'll save the city for 10 people. Turns out that there are not 10 righteous people there, and that uh, he, uh, God, because Abraham asks, takes out Lot, uh, takes Lot and his family out from the cities before he destroys them. Uh, then he destroys the city and then all the craziness with Lot and his daughters. Uh, and then after that, it just immediately transitions right into uh, Genesis 20, where uh, it starts with this. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Sur, and then he sojourned to Gerar. Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. So Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not uh, come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a whole nation even though, uh, even though blameless? Did he not himself say, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from, sin, uh, kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Uh, now, therefore, restore this man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, now you shall surely die, and all who are yours. So Abraham goes from where he was, was at, and he uh, ends up in Gerar, which is uh, part of the Philistines' land. And they go back to the same story that they had in uh, chapter 12 when uh, they're in Egypt, and they have this all set up and to, to say she's my sister to protect him from being killed, which is partly true. Uh, in those days, there weren't the same sort of family restrictions about uh, marrying. So she is his sister, half-sister, but uh, and they are married, but they only tell him half the story. And the first time around when this happened, it didn't work out all that great. Uh, but uh, here it happens again. And so it's interesting that God came to Abimelech in, the dr in a dream, and he explains that she's married. And then uh, um, Abimelech says, wait, I haven't, been, I haven't been by her. I haven't been near her, so uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blameless. Will you slay me and my whole nation because I'm blameless? And he even points out, hey, Abraham said that she was my sister. And so he says, hey, I've had integrity in this whole thing. I didn't know. And then so uh, it's interesting that God says, yes, I know that, but if you don't restore her right away, you're dying and everybody that is with you is dying. And so uh, God says, restore this man's wife for he is a prophet and he'll pray for you and you will live. But if you don't, 
you're going you're gonna to die. So it's interesting to me that it never says anywhere that Abimelech is a believer in God. It doesn't say that he worships God or anything, but he recognizes in this dream that God has power. So it's interesting, uh, the question remains for me is, okay, is Abimelech a believer or is he just somebody who recognizes God who has power? It never, the narrative never tells us, so it's kind of interesting that way. But it's, it's really cool that no matter where Abimelech is in his believing or his uh, confessing you know, that, Jesus, uh, that God is Lord, he is communing with God, he's talking to God, and he's being obedient. Because in the next verse, uh, verse 8, it says, So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. And Abimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom this great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely there was no fear of the Lord in this place, and they would kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is actually my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God made me wonder from my father's house that I said to her, this kindness which you will show, this is the kindness which you will show to me everywhere we will go, save me, he is my brother. And Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. And uh, Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you, settle wherever you please. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given you, uh, given your brother a thousand pieces of silver, and behold, it is your vindication before all those who are before you, and all the men, uh, before all the men that you are cleared. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So as it turns out, the thing, uh, the thing that I like about Abimelech, no matter where he stands at in his belief, is that when he got up in the morning after, after having this dream, he didn't wait or hem and haw around. He got right to it. So he called his people to him, let them know what was going on, and uh, they were frightened. So again, it doesn't say that that fear led to them having belief or, or relationship with God. But obviously, they've seen God have power, so they acted right away. And then he calls Abraham in, and he, he, he asks these questions, which I think are pertinent. Uh, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you brought uh, me and my kingdom into great sin? You've done things that ought not be done. And so he, he, asked, these que- he asked two questions and then a statement. Um, hey, what, uh, what have you done to us? Because God's saying, hey, if, I, if, if I'd have got this wrong, if God hadn't come to me, it'd be raining fire and brimstone on us right now. Maybe they'd heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe they knew they had some sort of nut. So, hey, Abraham, what are you doing? And, and it's interesting that I'm sure that if you've ever questioned somebody uh, about the things that they've done wrong, like Abraham, he wasn't thinking about these ramifications. He was making a self-centered decision based on saving his own hide. So in this, Abraham is doing a very human thing. 
he is put Sarah in a bad position because if you go into the court of a king, you become part of the concubines or, or a wife, and um, wife sharing is bad. And in, in addition to that, he hasn't thought about, uh, hey, God has issued a promise here, and God is about to fulfill that promise, and you now have jeopardized the possibility of people second-guessing, well, Abraham couldn't make Sarah pregnant, but Abimelech did. That's a possibility, right? And he's just thinking about, I'm trying to get out of this. And so uh, he said, hey, why have you done that? Obviously, Abraham hasn't thought, thought it through. Um, and... Uh, that you've brought me in my kingdom into great sin. He, he's dragged them into sin because of his, his lie. Not only has he tried to save his own skin, he's dragged them into trouble. When people make bad decisions, bad decisions and sin beget a ripple effect of uh, consequences and bad things for people around them. People, people often say, well, my decision isn't really hurting anybody. I don't, in most cases, or the cases that I know of, I don't believe that. Abraham has created a, uh, created a bad situation, and then Abimelech just scolds him. You did things that you shouldn't have done. And uh, then he said to him, uh, what have you encountered that you have done this thing? And it's, uh, it's an interesting question. I, uh, what have you encountered? What made you think this? And if you've ever had talk with like a teenager or somebody, you know, the, just the question, what have you encountered or what were you thinking? A lot of times the answer that comes back to me is, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> uh, Abraham, is, uh, uh, he's about to give his answer. And it's, uh, it's not great because he, reveal, he, reveal, he reveals what he thinks. He says, Abraham said, uh, you know, Abimelech says, why have you done this thing? What happened to you that made you think this way? And Abraham says, because I thought surely there's no fear of God in this place and you'll kill me because of my wife. So after being scolded by Abimelech, he straight up says, you're a godless people and I thought you were going to kill me. <laughs> Great, Abraham, well done. At least he answered the question truthfully. That's what he thought. And, and maybe there was a hint of that, uh, but, but we, we don't know. But we at least see Abimelech interacting with God. And it's interesting that Abraham has this preconceived notion about these people that are not the promised people of God. And I think for us, it's, it's probably, you know, there's evil out there and we need to be careful. But I don't know that it's great to make a lot of assumptions about people and accuse them of being evil before you uh, know for sure. And then um, you would hope that Abraham at this point, once he says that there's no fear of God in this place, which is kind of a bad accusation, then he says, uh, besides, she is actually my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. Then she became my wife. So in addition to um, saying something that isn't particularly kind to Abimelech, then he goes on to then he goes on to perpetuate his half lie, which is a truth, but he didn't say that from the get go. So to me, Abraham's statement is still a justification. Well, I thought you were evil, and really, she is my sister. I just forgot to tell you that last part that she's my wife too. And so it seems to me that, that, that a half, I mean, if he'd have told him the whole thing from the beginning, that'd be one thing, but he told him a half-truth. And he told, Abraham told Abimelech a half-truth to save his own skin, which makes it a, an entire lie in my mind, because he could have just said, this is my wife, right? And part of that, I think, is that um, 
I, I, you know, we can look at Abraham and uh, uh, say, okay, well, he told the half-truth and he's justifying himself. And then he adds, well, she is my wife. But at the same time, when we think about, when we think about this, Abraham is a man who loves God. He has made altars along the way. He's interceded for other people. And when we look at this situation and the other situation that happened before in chapter 12, when he was coming out of Egypt and he did the same thing, the interesting thing to me is that uh, when I stopped and thought about this, and um, a lot of people that I know and, and myself, there were a lot of things that I thought and believed in how I acted before I became a Christian that came across into my Christianity. And it would seem to me that my opinion is that maybe Abraham in this situation didn't take the time to sift through what happened in Egypt, how God rescued him and got him out to make his promise come true. And so what Abraham is doing here is he went back to their original plan A thinking instead of going to plan God thinking. And so the, 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 the thing for us to do is just to use that as an example of, hey, good people of God sometimes don't do everything that they need in their faith to not make sinful mistakes. But luckily for Abraham, God is super faithful. So what, what he does after he, he gives this justification and then says, well, she is my wife, um, then he's going to explain that very thing that I just said. When we came out of, uh, when it came about, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness which she will show to me everywhere we will go. She will say she is my brother. And so that whole plan A thinking was, like I said before, flawed because he's thinking about his own skin. I don't know how a fella does this. It says, you're going to save my sister and get taken into a harem. That's not great to save his own skin. So that plan A thinking bled over into his Christianity or his walk with God and he just hadn't thought it through. And then, so what Abimelech does in verse 14 is he takes sheep and oxen and servants and he gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. So it seems odd to me that Abraham does this sinful thing, puts them in jeopardy and then justifies his actions and then Abimelech gives him stuff here, man, you put me in a bad situation. This is inconvenient for me. But have some stuff. Have some stuff. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like a guy should be blessed for doing this sort of thing. But part of the custom here to make things right on Abimelech's side is to make sure that everybody sees this and then he makes an offering to make it right. So where you see Abraham falling down on this, you see Abimelech acting as he should in society to restore this situation. Because even though Abimelech walked into it, not knowing that he was doing a sinful thing, he has done a sinful thing, and this is part of the restoration and payback. So, so that is what Abimelech's doing. So it's weird that we see a, a guy who fears God, but maybe by the text doesn't necessarily have a relationship with God, doing the right thing, and we see a guy who's got a relationship with God doing the wrong thing. Unfortunately, sometimes this happens. But Abimelech does this, and he also does in 16, where he says to Sarah, I give you your brother. Notice he said, since Abraham said she is, he is my brother, that's what Abimelech goes with. Give your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is your vindication before all who are before you that, uh, that uh, you are cleared. And uh, so it's interesting that he gets stuff and a thousand pieces of silver, but he's vindicated.
So he, he pays the penalty for what he did wrong, even though he didn't know it was wrong, and uh, they're all clear. Part of this is that Abimelech did the right thing, and it also shows us that Abimelech did this thing in front of everybody. She's cleared. He was never with her. This also is God intervening to make sure that he maintains his promise. Tom and I had an interesting, Pastor Tom and I had an interesting conversation uh, uh, earlier about how this all works out between free will and the sovereignty of God and yet God being gracious enough to work in mankind to uh, continue to make sure that he carries through his pro uh, process or carries through his promise. And just the thought of how gracious and good God is to be able to put up with all this human folly, to continue to give his promise to the human race. This is a beautiful thing. Uh, uh, a young gal that comes to our home fellowship sometimes, her, her, her saying is grace is all in. God is all in for the humankind. God is all in to maintain his promise. That's just a really cool thing that we see God doing here. And then in addition to that, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids, and they bore the children. For the Lord had closed fast the wombs of his household of Abimelech because of Sarah, his wife. And, and I think it's interesting here. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think that in this time that Abraham has repented from this because he prays and God hears him. Once we get salvation, we are uh, with God. He's going to hold us forever. But if there's sin in our lives ongoing, our, our prayers are hindered. I mean, uh, the, the New Testament tells us this, right? So I'm, I'm thinking that, that based on, you know, the entirety of the Bible, that what Abraham has done here is he's repented because he prays to God. God hears him and answers him. And Abimelech through this, because, because of this, he gets a gift. Uh, he gets to be able to bear children and stuff going forward because Abraham prayed for him. So, uh, just uh, again, sometimes we look at this and you have to look at the things like I said. Think about the things you carried before your Christianity and your thinking to how you think now. Are you thinking plan A or are you thinking plan God? Because they're not the same thing. The other thing is, like, like I said, God is so faithful and so gracious to continue to work through humankind folly to make sure that he does not default on his promise to Abraham. So uh, now this is Genesis uh, 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son, and Abraham in uh, bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And at the appointed time which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah had born to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made, uh, uh, made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, you would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son in my old age. So here you see, it's just kind of the stepping forward of what happened, but it's really actually kind of exciting just because this is God's promise being fulfilled, right? Abraham has had this promise to him for 25 years, and after all the things that he's gone through, all the day-to-day, -day, 25 years of waiting for this promise, it's come to fruition. 
Yay, God! He kept, he kept, his, he kept his promise as we knew he would. And, and at the exact time that he said he would do that. And so Sarah bore a son, and then, then Abraham was uh, faithful. When, when God gave him uh, circumcision, he said, every male child that's born among you must be circumcised on the eighth day. So now you see Abraham being faithful in circumcising his son on the eighth day, just like God uh, had for him. And now it just puts in there in verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And that's in there because it's, a, it's an important thing as you're just talking about the birth of the baby. Because one of the things that God did in making him wait, making them wait, is that Sarah and Abraham are too old to have kids. 100 years old is old. I'm, I'm telling you right now, um, when my grandsons are around, they make me tired. I don't remember being that tired when my kids were two and four or that sort of stuff. When you get older, Grandkids are great, but they can go on home. This is a 100-year-old dude that's had a kid, and she's 90. So uh, they, uh, this, is, this is a miracle. And one of the reasons why God waited this long is because he wanted to make sure that everybody understood that this was a miracle baby. When he's fulfilling his promise, it's not just that he gave uh, this promise to a young couple who you expect to have kids. This is a promise that, that he makes and he makes sure that everybody understands that these people are old and he's fulfilled the promise. I'd like to think that he gave them a little, a little extra energy because I don't know how they're doing that when they're 100, but maybe people were in better shape back then. I don't know. But uh, Abraham was born to him, uh, and God has made laughter for me. Sarah's happy, and uh, what she does is she said, who, have said, who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet you have borne him a son in, in his old age and everybody's going to laugh with her. Everybody's going to rejoice in this thing for, for a lot of different reasons. Not only that they're old, but they had kids. This is fulfillment of the promise. This is just a cool, cool deal. And then going on in uh, verse 8, As the child grew and was weaned, Abraham made a great feast on the day which Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac and the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son but God said to Abraham do not be distressed because the lad because the lad and your maid whatever Sarah tells you listen to her for though Isaac uh, uh, through Isaac your descendants shall be named and the son of the maid will and the son of the maid, I will make a, a nation also because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave, gave it to Hagar, uh, putting them on her, on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. So that's kind of a, if you look at it, when, when the child was grown, grown and weaned. So, so um, Isaac now is no longer being breastfed. That's a thing in their culture. So he puts on this big uh, feast to show that, hey, this is the first step in my child getting older. And then uh, Ishmael is mocking the whole thing or the kid or something like this. And you'd think, well, why would a 17-year-old kid be mocking a 3-year-old? Well, 
There's probably lots of reasons. First of all, if you've ever dealt with a 17-year-old teenager who's in a bad mood anyway, it could happen. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that he's uh, heard the story about who's the child of the promise. I'm sure he's jealous because now here's the favored child. So there's any number of reasons. So it doesn't seem uh, <laughs> that out of character for a 17-year-old to be a little bit bitter and mock him. But then... Uh, you wouldn't think that mockery would escalate like this, but it escalates quickly because uh, Sarah said, drive out the maid and her son because she's not going to be an heir with my son. And that seems really savage, kind of. Hey, uh, the lady I gave you and your son, and it almost sounds like she's disconnected because this is your son, not my son. He's not part of the heir. So uh, we don't really know what Sarah's heart is, but this sounds really harsh. And so uh, you'd think that maybe it'd be different than this. And Abraham is distressed because of his son. And that distressed word I looked into a little bit, it's like that distress where you're really just kind of shaking and, and feeling poorly and uh, distressed. He's really bad because uh, bad off about this thing because think about it, any of us who have sons or you know a split family or anything like this, your kids are still your kids, right? When, when you're somebody's dad, this is not a great thing. When your kids go away, go off to college, whatever, and this is not a great separation anyway. But it's interesting, God said, don't be distressed about the lad and your maid. Do whatever she tells you, listen to her, because uh, through Isaac your descendants shall be named. So, so God comforts him, and then he says, do whatever Sarah tells you. And which you would think, golly, God, is that, that's harsh. That's harsh. But he says, do that. So um, Abraham, you see too, just like Abimelech got up in the morning and took action on what God told him, Abraham does that same thing. It's really cool to me when you see people who have an encounter with God and start to take action right away. They don't sit around and pray. Was that real? Did God really speak? They get up and they get to doing what God told them to do. And so he gives her food and a, and a water skin and they send them away into the wilderness. But part of that is because what God says that because uh, Isaac, through Isaac, your descendants will be named. The other thing is that I think here is just a practical thing and this isn't in Scripture, but it just seems to me like if Isaac is going to be the, the, or Isaac is the promised child, and now he has the child of the flesh and the child of the spirit living in his own home, there's going to be some familial clashing, right? You see in, in King David's home that it's just a circus with uh, kids from different mothers and kids killing each other, and it's bad. So even though it sounds harsh at the, at the beginning, it's good that God comforted Abraham and that Abraham listens and sends him away. This probably causes more peace in the long run than it does uh, if they would keep them together and this sort of uh, animosity would continue between the sons and the mothers. So kind of a practical thing I, got, I think God does here too. And so Abraham sends, uh, sends him away. And then in verse 15, when the water skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes and she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away. For she said, do not let me see the boy die. 
And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the lad crying, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard your voice, the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. For the Lord has, uh, uh, for God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin and gave the lad a drink. So it's uh, interesting to me that uh, when, a, uh, when, I, when she calls out, she's looking at the boy and she's calling out to God, God, don't let me see the boy die. And she's lifted up her voice and weeping. So she's weeping out loud. She's crying to God. And it's interesting in verse 17 that it says, God heard the lad crying. This is kind of an interesting interplay to me. She's crying and weeping out to God. It doesn't say what, what uh, Ishmael says, but God hears his cry, and then he answers to Hagar. I have no idea why that is. I couldn't find anything that gave me any definitive answer on that. I'm just going to say that it's interesting how God operated there, and that's what he did. But it's interesting. She cries out. He cries out, but it doesn't tell us. And then, she answer, then God answers Hagar and says, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Don't you just love it when you're in a bad situation, you're crying out to God, and you feel that, what is the matter with you? That doesn't see, but again, if you have kids, and you've ever seen a kid crying over something, sometimes it's the question, right? But I think he does that maybe to shock her back into, hey, I have promises to you too. We've talked before, Hagar. This isn't the first time we've had a conversation. And so he's saying, hey, what's the matter with you? Because he wants to get her attention, that's, that's my thought. I mean, the text obviously doesn't say that. But, but then he comforts her. Hey, now that I have your attention, don't fear. God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. And he says, arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. So he comforts her because he says, hey, I've heard your son cry out, and... Uh, then he says, I'm going to make a great nation. And then he provides. Then all of a sudden, whether, whether it was there, whether just to, to, to work through this situation, he opens her eyes and there's water right there. So she, uh, she gave him a drink and they live on, which is pretty cool. And in, in verse 20, it goes on to say, this is, this is how it worked out. God was with the lad and he grew and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife from him from the land of Egypt. So that's the only two verses that it really tells us about his growing up. So then you have the uh, Ishmael uh, and uh, Hagar story. And then it just clips back here in verse 22 to... Uh, uh, what's going on with Abraham again. And now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown to you, you should show me in the land which you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because the, uh, the well of water, which his servants uh, of Abimelech seized. And Abimelech said, I did not know who did this thing, and you did not tell me, nor did I hear about it till today. 
So now we see Abraham, he's, he's, got, uh, he's got a lot of stuff, he's got a big household, and Abimelech looks around and decides that he's going to go with his, the commander of his army and see if he can make a deal with Abraham. And I don't know if he goes with the commander of his army because he wants to make a show of force or that's just their culture, but they show up and it shows some importance uh, of Abraham that two important men show up. And he says, hey, uh, swear with me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my offspring or my posterity. So it's possible that a couple of things are going on here. First of all, if Abraham has a certain amount of power and wealth, he could possibly take them over and take their kingdom, right? So they have to figure out how to live together. The other thing is that Abimelech could be looking at Abraham with some mistrust and say, we've got to make an official deal for this thing to work because I don't trust this guy because he told me that his wife was his sister. So obviously here again, the text doesn't tell us what he's thinking when he does this, but you either way you can see, or maybe it's both, you can see why Abimelech is coming to Abraham to make this deal. So uh, Abraham said, I swear it, but this is one of those things where he's basically, this is a contract working out. We don't do covenants, we have contracts, but this is one of those things where, hey, okay, I'm going to do it, but let's now negotiate some terms. So Abraham says, hey, look, I'm going to do it, but we have this well. And you might think, well, well, what's the big deal? They live in a pretty arid place and getting water for your people and for your livestock is of supreme importance. It doesn't always happen. So it's not like we call a company and have them drill down and put water in and we have thousands of gallons of water coming into the building. Sometimes it's not easy there. So this is an important thing. So there's oftentimes skirmishes over wells. You see this in Genesis and other books of the Bible where this is an important thing. So uh, Abimelech says, oh, I didn't know that. Nobody told me till today. And then so, so it would indicate that, okay, Abimelech is, is going to do this thing. So then going on in verse uh, 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean? in which you have set by themselves. And he said, you shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand so that they may be witnesses to me that I dug the well. Therefore, he called the place Beersheba and because there were two of them that took the oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. So as after they negotiate the terms, Abraham took some sheep and livestock and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. So when, when he took uh, the, the sheep and the oxen, and I think I explained this a little bit before when, when Abraham and God made the covenant, what, what they do basically is, even though it's a contract, it's a little bit more serious than the contracts that we do now. They would have split these animals down the middle and laid them side by side, and they would have walked through the pieces and said, this is our contract, and if either one of us break it, we'll end up like these animals, split in half. So it's not like now where if you make a contract, you can just call your lawyer and maybe 
get out of the contract. I had a, I had a lawyer once tell me that uh, a non-compete clause I signed for a business was probably not worth the paper it was written on. So we don't think of our contracts maybe as importantly as these guys do because these guys are saying, if we break the covenant, here's what happens. So it's a pretty big deal. This is how they sign the contract. And so then you see Abraham taking the seven ewe lambs and he gives them to Abimelech. And Abimelech says, what are these for? And, and Abraham says, this is, this is basically my receipt. I am, we're making this contract and I'm giving you the ewe lambs that you, you will know that this well is mine. And so Beersheba, I looked into that, Beersheba means uh, oath well of oath or oath of seven, meaning the seven sheep. So two guys made an oath with seven sheep. So when he calls it that name and he gave him the sheep, he's giving it a specific name. So when people saw that, they would recognize, oh, two guys made an oath concerning, and the, the, the receipt or the price of that was seven, seven, seven lambs. So uh, that's why they did that. And so they made a covenant, and then those guys went and left. And then in 33, it said, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called, the name of, uh, called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. So you see Abraham again in the planting of the tamarisk tree by the well of Beersheba. He didn't put up an altar this time, but he planted a tree to commemorate, hey, look, Trees don't grow unless they have water. God has provided, I'm going to grow, grow this tree, so when people come to the well with a certain name and they see the tree, they're going to know that God had provided. So Abraham, even after all the folly of the last chapter and, and receiving the promise, he does a thing that says, God did this thing for me. And so... And then it just ends with God sojourned in the, or that Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. And they have good relations for the Philistines for a long time. It turns bad later, but. So, <laughs> as you think about this passage, and you think about that, I, the, the things that I thought about, again, were, hey, what are some of the things that I think of and do now that I did before I was a Christian? Do I sometimes, like Abraham, have thoughts and do things that I did before I was a Christian and I haven't really stopped to think them through and change my ways now that I am a Christian? Just like Abraham did. He stayed with plan A. Tell her she's my sister. The other thing is that I thought is really important is what Tom and I were talking about. It's so awesome. God's grace is so big and so wonderful that he continues to keep his promise through our folly. And, and, and I would say that we, we shouldn't take that lightly. We shouldn't take that lightly because, you know, Paul begs the question, should we sin more so grace can abound more? May it never be. So we shouldn't take that lightly like, well, I can just do whatever and God's going to be okay with me. But as we look at it, even if I make a mistake, even if I do the thing that I shouldn't do, I'm going to go back to God and he's going to be faithful. God is going to be faithful regardless of if I make that mistake. He's going to be faithful to forgive me in that mistake. And that's really comforting because if you, like me, have been on earth for a while, this walking your faith is a difficult challenge sometimes. 
But we see, we see some triumph in the next couple of chapters. It's, uh, I would say, read ahead next week is going to be chapter 22 and 23. We see uh, a, a lot of uh, very cool things uh, going on this. It, this is one of the chapters in 22 where uh, I have a lot of conversations with people outside the church, and people have some really interesting views on what this may mean and why God did it. I'll share a couple of those with you next week, but uh, be blessed, uh, read ahead, and be safe out there for Frontier Days. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to um, just be together and enjoy your word. We thank you that uh, you continue to show us ourselves in your word. And more importantly, Lord, you continue to show us yourself in your word, that you are faithful, that you are loving, and that you are gracious. Lord, we thank you that uh, we get to be part of that grace. I pray, Lord, that uh, like Abraham, that we wouldn't just look at people uh, uh, like he did Abimelech and just assume that they're evil, Lord, that we would be praying for them, that we would be uh, people who would uh, want them to come into the kingdom. Lord, that you would uh, give us all opportunities just to uh, share the things we learned from your word uh, with each other. And uh, Lord, hopefully that we would be able to sh share your love and grace with people who don't know you yet. In Jesus' name, amen.